Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 49 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 5, Episodes 47 and 48 for Parts 1 and 2 of this three-part case. This episode contains distressing themes explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. The waters of the River Air were in the process of being searched by divers from the West Yorkshire Constabulary. Excavation work also continued around the flats where Stephen Griffiths lived in Homefield Court on Thornton Road in Bradford. A collection of crossbow bolts, two crossbows, numerous bags and electronic equipment had been recovered from his home. It appeared that Griffiths attempted to clean up the scene of a crime as he had lifted up the carpet and removed the tiles from the bathroom. Either that or he was incredibly unlucky, deciding to carry out some impromptu renovation work in his flat at the exact time he was being investigated for multiple murder. A vast collection of true crime books, along with all of his university coursework and websites he had updated, would also be analysed to understand his state of mind and learn if he had left any clues among the words he had written. 
Analysis on the black canvas holdall found in the river rare and the tools inside was underway. The police had sent officers to over a hundred locations associated with Griffiths, in the hopes they might find some further clues and potential connections to other missing women. One notable disappearance at the time was that of Claudia Lawrence. Several journalists wrote about the possibility that Griffiths was involved. The chef in her mid-thirties who worked at York University vanished the previous year in 2009, and there appeared to be few clues as to her whereabouts. On the final day of May, detectives had been questioning Stephen Griffiths about not only the three women that he had been charged with murdering, but also the death of 19-year-old Rebecca Hall. She had been killed nine years earlier and was survived by a four-month-old child. Confirmation of the police's interview came from Angela Hall, Rebecca's mother, whose comments were reported in the Standard newspaper. She said, I have spoken to the police and they have been asking him about Becky, but he wouldn't say anything. He didn't answer them. I just want this to be over and then we can have some closure and Becky can rest in peace. I hope that this goes before the court before I die, as I do not have long left in this world. The West Yorkshire Police did confirm to the media that they planned to interview Stephen Griffiths while he was being held in Wakefield Prison, although their focus was on Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage, as their bodies had yet to be recovered. It was hoped that Griffiths might give up some information that would lead authorities to the location of their remains. Susan Rushworth Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blamires were known to the West Yorkshire Constabulary, although they appeared to have no previous connections to Griffiths. No sex workers in the area admitted to being familiar with Griffiths either. PC Catherine Higgins knew each of the victims and had been supporting sex workers to help them find accommodation. She described to reporters Paul Stokes and Caroline Gamble how their deaths had affected her. They were all likeable, the officer said. You could have a laugh and a joke with all of them. At the end of the day, you can't forget their families. That's the saddest part. They all made me smile because each and every one of those girls had special qualities. We helped rehouse Shelley and her boyfriend, and she kept asking us to come round for tea. And I said I would. A phone line had been set up so sex workers could inform the local police of any clients they were concerned about, but Griffiths's name never came up. That said, sometime later, it would turn out he had employed sex workers. Stephen Griffiths would take them back to his flat and tell them he was a photographer, whose art was featured in several prominent galleries. 
Griffiths would make his subjects lay naked on the bed and demanded that they push their backsides into the air as he photographed them. At the height of the inquiry, around 130 officers made up the task force that was assembled to aid in the search to find the remains of Suzanne Blamires, Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage. It was not long before divers searching the riverbed found further remains. Analysis on the small section of tissue and bone confirmed that they were from a human spine. Extensive DNA testing was completed, and it was established the remains belonged to Shelley Armitage. Shelley had disappeared around a month and a half earlier. A spokesperson for the West Yorkshire Constabulary said, Further exhaustive forensic tests carried out on a small piece of human tissue recovered from the river air over the weekend have confirmed that it is that of Shelley Armitage. Shelley's family have been informed. Searches are continuing as are ongoing forensic tests. This includes ongoing forensic work on the black hole the land contents, recovered at the weekend. Coroner Roger Whitaker, who had also overseen the inquest into Suzanne Blamire's death, opened proceedings for Shelley Armitage although how exactly she died could not be established. As only a small section of her remains were found, it was concluded she was no longer alive. Detective Superintendent Sukhbir Singh leading the inquiry told the coroner she would not have been alive with this piece of spine missing from her body. The remains recovered, which belonged to both Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blamires, were released to their families. Each inquest would be adjourned until the outcome of the trial. The coroner explained that he needed to apply to the Home Office, as the body of Susan Rushworth had not yet been recovered. West Yorkshire Constabulary were dedicating every available resource they could spare to work the case. A spokesperson remarked that the authorities pledged to continue doing all it takes to locate the body of Susan Rushworth and the further remains of Shelley Armitage. Any evidence retrieved was being sent to the Forensic Science Service in Weatherby, and other laboratories across the country so the investigation could be completed as quickly as possible. When Stephen Griffiths appeared before Bradford Crown Court via video link, he did not seem to be the same man that spoke so confidently when describing himself as the crossbow cannibal. During a hearing that lasted around 30 minutes, Griffiths' image was transmitted from a room in Wakefield Prison. It pictured him sat hunched over with his arms crossed. 
dressed in a prison-issue grey tracksuit, sat at a wooden desk. His head occasionally drooped forward. There were moments where he seemed to almost fall asleep. He was often startled awake by the judge. During the legal proceedings, it was revealed that Griffiths was staying in the prison's hospital wing, and his legal team sought to have his mental state evaluated. Counsel Ian Howard told the judge James Goss QC that he was keen to explore how his client could be cared for after consultation with experts. At the forefront of our minds is Mr Griffiths's mental state, Howard said, and we're consulting with well-run establishments such as Rampton with a view to seeing whether an institution such as this might better cater for his needs in the short and medium term. The court were informed by the prosecution that a large-scale forensic examination was underway at Griffiths' flat and would be ongoing for several weeks. A provisional trial date was set for the end of the year, although a precursory hearing before Mr Justice Openshaw was to take place at Sheffield Crown Court. Concern for Stephen Griffiths' mental state was not unwarranted. Two days after his latest court appearance, he was found unconscious with a plastic bag over his head and a sock looped tightly around his neck. A spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice acknowledged that a prisoner was involved in an incident of self-harm, although they would not elaborate further. An update on Griffiths did however come from Tom Robson, the Prison Officers Association Vice Chairman, who told the BBC that a guard's vigilance saved Griffiths' life. The inmate's cell was regularly patrolled, but he had not been on suicide watch and had somehow managed to conceal a plastic bag on his person. He was lucky to be seen by a prison guard who had been monitoring the cell block over a video stream. The alarm was raised, and guards rushed to administer first aid. The vice chairman for the Prison Officers Association said that Griffiths was now under 24-hour surveillance, and unlikely to do it again. The cogs of the legal system were slowly gearing towards the trial and perhaps it was the impending realisation of another court appearance that prompted Stephen Griffiths to again attempt to take his own life. Three months after his first attempt, prison staff found Griffiths in his cell, bloody from his injuries. His conditions had been relaxed, and he was allowed a television. When he was not being watched... He smashed the screen and with pieces of glass from the broken monitor, he cut himself. Guards, however, managed to intervene. The wounds were only superficial and Griffiths' injuries were treated by staff. In his final hearing before he was able to enter a plea, 
Stephen Griffiths was marched into the courtroom. He never looked up and refused to even move his head towards the public gallery at Bradford Crown Court. It was packed with the relatives of Susan Rushworth, Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blay Myers. In a black shirt and jeans, Griffiths was told he would appear before the court for the final time, a week before Christmas 2010. On December 21st, dressed in a prison-issued tracksuit and surrounded by several burly guards of the court, Stephen Griffiths spoke in a quiet voice. He put forward his plea to each charge. It had been seven months since his arrest, and the body of Susan Rushworth had still not been found. Griffiths had been assessed by experts to understand if he was responsible for his actions. He had said there was a civil war going on in his mind which had led him to cutting off the outside world. It was deemed Griffiths was fit to plead, as he exhibited no signs of mental illness when he was reviewed at Rampton. It was, however, understood that after he had spoken to several psychiatrists, They had cause for concern. Griffiths was labelled a psychopath who spoke of a desire to kill people. He had been interviewed at Halifax Police Station about the missing women at 20 to 7 on Tuesday, May 25th, 2010. Are you saying that you've killed Susan Rushworth? Yes. And what was the other name? Shelley Armitage. Are you saying that you've murdered Shelley Armitage? Yes. And then the last one? Susan Blamer. You say you've murdered her? Yes. Okay, well, thanks for that, Steve. I appreciate it. On his way into the courtroom, Stephen Griffiths stared directly into the public gallery. He mouthed the words, Who are you looking at? Apart from his whispered threats, Griffiths looked far thinner than he had done in previous court appearances. He confirmed his name, and when each charge was put to him by the court clerk, he calmly replied in a soft voice, Guilty. When he was arrested, Griffiths had cuts to his hands which he said he got from dismembering the bodies. Part of his hair was also burned when he tried to dispose of the evidence. Griffiths discussed how he was surprised that no one knew what he was up to. What were you saying things on fire for? Well, to destroyed DNA but like I say in such a reckless crazy manner I can't believe mind you I don't know I think 
like I said, caretaker, perhaps had other things on his mind, but otherwise I can't believe, you know, with the, the smoke that must have been billowing out of the windows. Although I did keep them shut for a while as well, so that's why I got a lot of soot all over me, and eventually I got a breathing mask on. But, um... So, how, how do you know that the fire destroys DNA? Well, to be perfectly honest, I mean, that's something I always kept uh, meaning to check up on on the internet, but um, it was just an assumption that, uh, well, certainly I think the principle I operated on was, well, it certainly isn't going to enhance the quality of the evidence. After taking the victims to his flat and murdering them, Stephen Griffiths claimed to the police that he ate them. The first two were allegedly cooked, and the third was eaten raw. He described his bathroom as looking like a slaughterhouse. During the hearing, which lasted two hours and 20 minutes, Robert Smith, QC, acting for the Crown, described precisely what Stephen Griffiths did after he ended the lives of the victims. Cries could be heard throughout the court as the gruesome details were explained. They were not for the faint of heart. Someone shouted to Griffiths from the public gallery calling him a fucking cunt. Both of the bodies of Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage were dismembered with power tools. However, Griffiths cut up the body of Suzanne Blamires with a saw and brute force. Some of her clothing was left in a bin. The remains were burned. Police divers searching the River Air had retrieved 81 separate pieces of Suzanne's body. Her head had been dismembered, and when it was found by an unsuspecting member of the public, the skin, ears and nose had been cut off. A sawn-off foot was also discovered. The Crown had recovered footage of her death from a CCTV camera which pictured Griffiths entering the flats in Homefield Court with Suzanne. The pair went into Griffiths's flat and no more than two minutes later, she fled running out of the door with Griffiths in pursuit. He ended her life with a crossbow. Griffiths left his flat an hour later and approached another sex worker known only in court as R. She was incredibly fortunate when she refused to go with him, unaware of the body in Griffiths' flat and what Griffiths had in store for her. Peter G. was the caretaker who first saw the footage of the execution. In his early fifties, G. had been warned about Griffiths' behaviour and was told not to approach him. On one occasion, neighbours had reported noises coming from Griffiths' flat 
in which they could hear a woman calling him an ignorant bastard and telling him to get off them before everything went silent. Peter G. had alerted the police when he saw what Griffiths had done. He told the Sun newspaper that on the day he watched the footage, it changed his life forever. What I saw on that tape horrified and distressed me, he said. Those images will stay with me for the rest of my life. After she was killed, Stephen Griffiths cut up Suzanne Blamire's body and collected the remains into several bin bags. He was filmed taking a number of trips on foot through Bradford, boarding a train and getting off at Shipley. He then threw the bags in the water. Suzanne's head was found in a rucksack. A skull had been penetrated by both a knife which was broken and a crossbow bolt. According to reports in the Telegraph newspaper, Griffiths had used his mobile phone to record elements of the other killings. However, he had dropped the device while on a train. It had then been subsequently sold on several times before the police obtained the electronic evidence stored within it. One piece of footage showed several areas of Griffiths' flat. Shelley Armitage was in the bath and then recorded laying down on a bed. In this second piece of footage, Griffiths can be heard saying, I am Ven Pariah. I am the bloodbath artist. He is a model who is assisting me. Shelley Armitage is unable to move, hog-tied and naked. Griffiths had spray-painted the words, My Sex Slave, on her back. When forensic analysis was completed in Homefield Court, a great deal of evidence suggested Stephen Griffiths had used his flat as a makeshift abattoir. Blood traces were everywhere, on his clothes, the carpets, a desk and a chair. DNA from the victims was also found on the cooker. Griffiths used his bath to cut up the bodies and it was the location where he burned their clothes. He did admit to killing Susan Rushworth, however her remains had not been recovered. It is suspected she was killed with a hammer. There is no evidence to confirm this. The only trace that forensic officers found that she was in the flat were specks of her blood found in the bathroom and on Griffiths's boots. He told the court that he killed Shelley Armitage with a crossbow. The self-proclaimed crossbow cannibal alleged that he cooked and ate his victims, saying that cannibalism was, quote, part of the fun. That said, some do not believe he went through with the act, 
It is surmised Griffiths only said this to improve his standing in the serial killer community and artificially inflate his infamy. David Cantor, who was then the professor of psychology at Huddersfield University, wrote an opinion piece on Stephen Griffiths for the Times newspaper. Cantor highlighted Griffiths knew right from wrong. There was no evidence he had any form of mental illness which affected his cognitive functioning. Describing the man who had admitted to cannibalism and three murders, Cantor wrote, He is not pursued by demons. He does not believe he is fighting his persecutors. He does not think he is following the secret orders of some god or celestial being. He has used his apparent intelligence to create a world in which to live and act, drawing on his extensive reading of popular crime fiction. The lives of others were destroyed by the cliches he was living. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. 
And now Scent Air is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit scentair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Scent Air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scent Air's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. During mitigation, counsel for Stephen Griffiths, David Waters QC told the court of his client's long-standing and complex history of mental health issues. He was diagnosed with a personality disorder that could not be treated. But the judge saw little, if any, mitigating factors from the defence. According to Mr Justice Openshaw, Griffiths could have controlled his urges, but he had chosen not to. The judge told Stephen Griffiths he had shown no remorse for his crimes. Mr Justice Openshaw spoke of how the defendant wanted to exercise dominance over the women he had murdered. Quote, There's probably a consensus that cannibalising a victim exerts utmost power and control over them. It's one thing to terrorise and kill a victim but to terrorise, kill, dismember and then eat parts of a victim is to take the exercise of power to another level. The judge did not think that Griffiths was lying when he said he ate the victims and believed the killer took some form of sexual gratification in the act. Mr Justice Openshaw told the multiple murderer that he would never see the outside world again. He said... The circumstances of these murders are so wicked and monstrous they leave me in no doubt the defendant should be kept in prison for the rest of his life. For the murders of Susan Rushworth, Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blamires, Stephen Griffiths was handed three life sentences. a whole life order was imposed. Peter Mann from the Crown Prosecution Service offered a statement. We cannot begin to understand what drove this cold-hearted and manipulative individual to take three lives in such a brutal and senseless way. The sentence handed down today reflects the truly appalling nature of his crimes. We hope that this result has brought some small measure of comfort to the families of Suzanne, Shelley and Susan, who have suffered a harrowing ordeal as a result of Griffith's crimes.
the West Yorkshire Police confirmed that following their initial interview with Stephen Griffiths, he had suggested that he may have killed a total of six women. I've killed a lot more than Suzanne Blamires. I've killed loads, he said. But he would not reveal who the other victims were, only admitting to killing Susan Rushworth, Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blamires. When asked for more details, he stuck up his middle finger. This could mean there were three unsolved murders for which Griffiths may have been responsible, or it was just as likely that Stephen Griffiths wanted to further inflate the notoriety that surrounded him, much like referring to himself as the crossbow cannibal. It could have just been posturing, although work still needed to be done to discount his involvement. Along with Rebecca Hall, another woman, Yvonne Fitt, was found murdered in September 1992. Her name has also been connected to Stephen Griffiths. However, Detective Superintendent Sukhbir Singh, who led the investigation, did not believe there was any evidence that at the time they could link Griffiths to other murders. Singh felt the police had followed all leads that were available. I've personally supervised the investigation. I'm the senior investigating officer for both Shelley Armitage, Suzanne Blair Myers, and I picked up the investigation for Susan Rushworth. So that's, that's how I speak in confidence. Criticism was levelled at the constabulary. Some members of the public felt the force did not act quickly enough because the women were sex workers. Although it was argued significant investigations were carried out on a national and local level. Searches of isolated areas were completed and the media was frequently engaged. No one has ever been charged with the murders of Rebecca Hall or Yvonne Fitt and Claudia Lawrence remains missing. Professor of Criminology David Wilson was interviewed about the possibility that Stephen Griffiths had killed more than three people. Wilson offered his thoughts to a correspondent from Channel 4 News. The evidence from within the three cases we definitely know about would suggest his first victim was definitely his first victim because he was disorganised and lacked skill and there was a significant time gap between that victim and who we know as his second victim. This suggests he hadn't killed before. A few days after he was sentenced, on Christmas Eve 2010, which was Stephen Griffiths' birthday, media reports suggested that he was on hunger strike. He was unhappy with the conditions of his incarceration at the maximum security prison HMP Wakefield. Griffiths was frustrated, being held in isolation and on suicide watch. He was not eating or drinking. He had reportedly lost three stone in three weeks. 
The prison service was asked to comment on the situation, although they refused to discuss Griffiths' case specifically. They did explain how they treated a prisoner who won't eat or drink. Quote, If a prisoner chooses to refuse food for any reason, the prison service works with healthcare staff to monitor their physical and mental health. Prisoners who are considered mentally capable are entitled to refuse health interventions like force feeding, provided they fully understand the consequences of their decision. By the first week of the new year, Stephen Griffiths was described as skin and bones. He had cut himself off from anyone that made any attempt to talk to him and did not want visitors in the hospital wing of the prison where he did nothing but lay in bed. Stephen Griffiths was now behind bars but the torment from his actions was still being felt in the outside world. Kirsty Rushworth was determined to be at Griffiths' sentencing hearing, although it did not bring her closure. She remarked how it would be impossible for her to move on when she could not say goodbye to her mother, Susan. I'm not able to bury her, tell her I love her, I can only hope she is watching over me. She was kind, loving and caring. She would give you her last penny. She was an amazing person. The father of Shelley Armitage said he could not rest until he found out what had happened to his daughter. Daryl Armitage had frequently visited the spot where only a small amount of his daughter's remains had been found. In an interview with the BBC, Shelley's father spoke of the torment he was suffering. He feared with Stephen Griffiths on hunger strike, the killer could very well die behind bars before anyone got answers. I can't rest until I know exactly what he's done. Daryl Armitage said. I need to know more about what's happened to Shelley. If I don't find out, it'll be preying on me for the rest of my life. I can't buy a grave because I've only got two pieces of Shelley. What happens if something else turns up? I can't move on from here. Throughout 2011 and beyond, the topic of reforms to the law were mentioned numerous times in the press. How could the authorities ensure the safety of sex workers? The idea of complete legalisation had been ruled out. Still, one idea was to create a national database or register of individuals who had been suspected of carrying out attacks on sex workers. A similar piece of work had been done on a local level by outreach workers who had produced flyers on which they printed ugly mugs, a term used to identify men who had been violent when paying for sex. 
Although this type of information had been shared locally, it was never cascaded nationwide. The Association of Chief Police Officers, or the National Police Chiefs Council as they are now known, were keen to seek some form of debate about how the laws could be relaxed so safe spaces could be used by sex workers without the fear of prosecution. It was argued the laws had prompted them to move on to the streets and they would be less likely to seek help from the police in the event of an attack. Furthermore, sex workers were also facing verbal and physical assaults, not just from the people who use their services, but from members of the public who were forcing sex workers on the street to move somewhere else. Sex workers would pick more isolated, unlit areas to avoid being seen, and if they were offered transport somewhere else, they would take up the offer rather than hang around. A horrific example of the violent experiences a sex worker endures is plain to see when examining the final years of Suzanne Blameyer's life. Around five months before she was murdered, Suzanne was attacked by two men in Bradford's red light area. She was repeatedly kicked in the head and body while she was on the floor, as money was demanded from her reportedly £40. Czechoslovakian Yuri Sokol and Yavoslag Balog from Slovakia carried out the attack on December 13, 2009, as Suzanne was on the floor screaming. One of the men was spotted by a witness who was also threatened and told, do you want me to kill you as well, before he ran a finger across his throat. At the time, Suzanne Blameyers did not provide a statement, although she was seen with bloody injuries to her arms and face. Both men were arrested and later sentenced after Suzanne's murder. They received 18 months in prison for pleading guilty to a charge of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. If this was not enough, Suzanne Blameyers had also been the target of a gang who set out to rape sex workers. When she was 34 in March 2008, she was held against her will and repeatedly attacked after being picked up. She was driven to an isolated area where clothing was torn from her body. She was assaulted and raped for 40 minutes by the two men that abducted her and several others. One of them had recorded the attack on his mobile phone. Still, somehow, Suzanne managed to escape and alert the authorities. The culprit's car was identified, and the gang leader Le Beaumier Cura was arrested. He was later convicted on six charges of conspiracy to rape and sentenced to 16 years in prison. Gang members Jan Dezudza, Matuas Tipan and Miroslav Katraka all fled to Slovakia when they heard of the initial arrest. However, they were eventually extradited some four years later in 2012. 
Judge Peter Benson commended the police officers who worked the case for several years to bring the men to justice. In February 2013 at Bradford Crown Court, the remaining gang members each received 12 years for their guilty pleas. Simon Byrne, the then Deputy Chief Constable for Greater Manchester Police, looked into the issue of violence against sex workers for the Association of Chief Police Officers while Stephen Griffiths was being prosecuted. He was asked whether or not brothels should be legalised. Byrne said, Perhaps the law does need changing. Some of it is frankly complicated. We'd be keen for a dialogue to see if there's a better way of managing the problem, be it ideas around criminalising some part of it and not others. I think it's time for that debate. This comment was made over a decade ago. There have been no changes to the law since. So where are we now? During an inquest into Susan Rushworth's death at the start of April 2011, Coroner Roger Whitaker was told due to the amount of time that had passed, Susan's remains will likely never be found. Blood spatter, which was later identified as coming from the first of Griffiths' victims, was found in his flat and on his boots. The coroner was satisfied, even without a body, that Susan Rushworth died from head injuries. It was concluded she lost her life on or around June 22, 2009. Coroner Roger Whitaker recorded a verdict of unlawful killing. Susan Rushworth's family wrote to Stephen Griffiths in prison asking where her remains were hoping if they found out, they could have a funeral to say goodbye. They did not receive a response. No one truly knows why Stephen Griffiths did what he did. The tabloids have mentioned numerous theories from where Griffiths' desire to commit murder could have stemmed from. Hatred towards his mother for what he saw as her promiscuity after the divorce. His alleged inability, according to previous partners, to perform sexually. Or his obsession with serial killers. The only person that can answer that question is Stephen Griffiths and he is not talking. He was subjected to a physical assault in 2019 while being held at Long Larton Prison. A piece of wood was almost driven through his heart by another inmate. As of the time of this recording, Stephen Griffiths, who is now in his early 50s, 
is still incarcerated. He refuses to cooperate with the authorities. Griffiths has still not revealed the whereabouts of the complete remains of either Shelley Armitage or Susan Rushworth. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, George Littlejohn, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. This is the end of Season 5 of They Walk Among Us. In the meantime, we are issuing a number of bonus episodes through Patreon, and we will return on Wednesday, June 16th for Season 6. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.